right, time to wrap up the week here. Only doing four episodes today since I'm traveling today. Nah, here, start that week. Now nah, we'll just leave it in because, you know, I'm Jade Hoy now. <laughs> Only doing four episodes this week because I am traveling tomorrow back to the home office. Danny is here. Got to catch up on, on some news. We talked a little bit in the over-unders, but it got some stuff that we couldn't really fit in there very well. And then we want to talk about our breakout and regression candidates for this year and finally get to our best bets, which we didn't have a chance to do yet uh, on the over-under podcast. So, uh, Danny, what do we got here for news? Well, I think the place to start is not with something that happened recently, but something that is important, which is Philly finally replacing Brian Colangelo and hiring Elton Brand as their general manager. And it seems like he's pretty closely connected with Brett Brown. And so I've heard speculation that Brown will still have a pretty significant voice in the process. That is something that some coaches have and some coaches do not have. But Philadelphia, because they basically rolled over their space the next year, talent evaluation, recruitment, all of that is incredibly important because they are a team with an incredibly high ceiling. And so what they do with the space they have and who they prioritize in the draft and everything else is is big for the league. Yeah, and they have that asset as well going forward, that 2021 Miami unprotected pick that looks like it might be kind of juicy. They're always in the market to try and add another star as well. So yeah, this is one of the premier GM spots in the league, and it was uh, a meandering search, to say the least, uh, to the extent that you can meander when you don't actually interview that many people for a very long time. There's really no understanding of why they didn't interview people on other teams until the very end of this process. It seemed like there wasn't necessarily a huge push to do that. Then there was speculation that we're going to kind of go into the season with the status quo and then see if we can get one of the big superstar guys next summer and then if not go with an internal candidate but it does seem like now with Brand certainly someone who played to rave reviews during his NBA career for his intelligence and integrity and uh, had only been working for a very short time in the Sixers organization and only retired really two years ago you remember he was brought in by the Colangelos to kind of fix their culture after all the Jaleel Okafor problems and Sam Hinkie uh, getting not fired as, as of that time but uh, superseded shall we say but certainly you have to question someone bringing in as in theory the lead decision maker someone with so little experience especially when the process ironically enough did not appear to be a normal one as far as the GMs are yeah that's certainly fair and we'll see how brand works there have been you know more people who do not have a ton of experience that have worked out well as GMs there are those who, who really really have not so it's a big time like he's going to have to hit the ground running not necessarily for this season but going into next year it's going to be important another smaller piece of Sixers news Jared Bayless who I'm sure a lot of people are surprised is still on the Sixers Bayless had a, a sprain of his left knee he'll be reevaluated in three to four weeks and I you know there is a possibility that they just at some point clear the roster spot but I think they probably have him on board now more for filler salary and then depth it's good to have depth guards too yeah I, I mean if you really look at their depth chart right now with Bayless out there's some talk that Landry Shamet could, could get some time or Landry Shamet I think actually that's another one where I think you screwed me up when I I had it right and then you are like oh is that what it is or uh but anyway maybe it is Shamet who knows but uh, I think it's Landry Shamet and uh they're talking about him maybe even being in the rotation after a strong 
on a couple of preseason games, but they do need some shooting with Wilson Chandler out uh, and Bayless. Uh, as you mentioned, somewhat worrying that Jonathan Isaac in a preseason game against Philadelphia suffered a right ankle sprain. This one is supposedly day-to-day, but also troublesome that that is the same ankle that cost him most of last season a year ago. And, you know, hopefully this does not become a chronic thing for Isaac. Uh, as we mentioned, there's talk that he might start at the three in Orlando. That could slow down that push uh, to some degree. Uh, in New York, Porzingis doesn't appear to be on the fast end of his timetable. He has not even been cleared yet to sprint. And usually sprinting is something that comes a little earlier by my recollection than seven months after an ACL tear because, you know, that's in a straight line. It's really the side-to-side stuff that stresses the ACL out more, the jumping stuff. So if he's not even running in a straight line yet uh, at a sprint, that would seem to mean he is on a very conservative timetable there. And uh, also, this is a while ago, but something that must be mentioned. Uh, Mark Berman reported this over the summer, that Ron Baker, despite a guaranteed $4 million contract, uh, could even get cut from this team, which, you know, I would support. It's a sunk cost. He wasn't signed to that ridiculous contract by this administration. Man, those last days of Phil Jackson sure destroyed this team. But, uh, yep, doesn't look like uh, Baker is going to figure in the Knicks' plans despite their relative inexperience at the guard position. Yeah, he did play a little bit in, I can't even remember who they were playing in the game I watched on, it was Monday. Something else that was was troubling for me on the injury kind of recovery front, CJ McCollum had a PRP injection during the offseason. From the reporting that I saw, it doesn't look like it's going to linger into this year, but, you know, any any kind of time a guy has has a has a procedure and, you know, you, you kind of think about it. And the, the other part of this, we've talked about this in the over-unders a little bit, is that the Blazers' key players have stayed really healthy over the last few years. That has allowed them to exceed maybe their expectations, their projections, because they haven't had to deal with that. And so anything that makes that less likely is something that I'm going to consider. Yeah, and you can always take these injury news one of two ways. Sometimes when a guy just doesn't play that well, and I thought CJ quietly was a little bit below his normal standard last year. If there's an injury explanation, sometimes that can make you feel a little bit better about it, especially if it's something that's relatively minor, as this appears to be. Probably the biggest news that we have to discuss, though, is the signing of Anthony Davis with Rich Paul and Clutch Sports. And woe be it for us uh, to be one of these sky is falling. He's not going to stay in this small market where he has no chance of winning a championship. Oh, wait, no, that's exactly what we do all the time because that happens all the time. Uh, And certainly you cannot interpret this as a positive sign for New Orleans. Rich Paul saying, oh, this doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to leave uh, when he was asked about it. But you don't hire Rich Paul so you can just sign on the dotted line on that designated player veteran extension uh, when you know for sure that you're going to be offered that. You know, Davis is already eligible with two straight All-NBA teams to get that next summer. And we've talked about how you know, I think we might be a little more optimistic on New Orleans and the conventional wisdom this season, but then they're going to have real trouble even if they do play well this year re-signing Nikola Mirotich, Julius Randle, and Alfred Payton if those guys end up being the key to them uh, exceeding expectations this year. And even so, I mean, at the highest level of expectations, it doesn't seem like New Orleans is a championship contender. And as we've talked about ad nauseum, because of moves that were made way back in the formative years of Davis's career, really has no path to getting into championship contention. And we've seen a number of players, carrot of that designated player veteran extension or no, decide that they are going to move on. And, you know, Giannis is the next guy in that watch now. Uh, you know, and we're always, you know, a couple of years ahead of these things. But, you know, these are uh, organizational issues. And then the other interesting thing is if Davis 
Davis does end up wanting to get moved, who's going to make that decision in New Orleans? Is it going to be Gail Benson, Tom Benson's widow? Is it going to be Mickey Loomis, uh, the football executive? They don't really deal with these things in football where, you know, they've got the franchise tag there and they can just uh, slap that on ad nauseum. So, you know, the, the, uh, he might try and play hardball with Davis or, you know, is it going to be Dell Dumps who also, you know, ha- I think has done a better job over these last couple of years, but is not supposed to be the easiest guy to deal with necessarily either. So uh, a lot of intrigue there, but if you're a Pelicans fan, you already had to be really worried. And certainly this is not a great sign. Another part of that, though, this is less relevant for AD possibly is that Rich Paul clients have been more willing to do high wire acts in terms of negotiation. I mean, Tristan Thompson was the last player before somebody we're going to talk about recently to basically go past the qualifying yeah. offer deadline KCP with Tristan Thompson. Yeah. KCP, Eric Bledsoe had a long acrimonious negotiation with the Phoenix Suns. Like a lot of these happen to be with Rich Paul. And with AD, it's not the situation of maximizing the money because he will get whatever is, you know, like whatever is the most any team can offer, he will get that offer. And so it's a very different kind of negotiation. But to me, the tendency to push that lever is probably pretty similar to if that's, if AD wants to be somewhere else. And I'm not saying he does. I'm not saying he should. That he could, that they could, that willing to push the levers necessary to, to make that happen. And I think this is also like, this is going to have to me bigger ripple effects throughout the league in terms of the willingness of certain other teams. And I think Boston is probably the most prominent among these to make other moves because Anthony Davis, if he becomes available in a trade, is the best player available in a trade in a long time. My, my instinct, I mean, cause Kawhi is different through the injury concerns. I mean, Kawhi at his best is better than Davis has been, but I'd say we're probably in like James Harden when he was on the Thunder type of territory here. And Davis is more proven than Harden was at that point. And so if that is a possibility and if the possibility is larger now than it was before he changed agents, that affects the league. Yeah, actually, I would say in terms of the performance that he had shown prior to the trade, the comparable player is Dwight Howard, who, remember, I mean, had been a top five player in the NBA for four or five years before he was traded to the Lakers. As it turned out, he had that back surgery and... Well, he did have moments in Houston, never really was quite the same player, especially on the defensive end, uh, and even offensively as well. But, uh, little other Pelicans news as well. Jill Okafor, who remember signed for only 50,000 guaranteed, uh, was, had a couple of nice moves going against Wendell Carter in that game against the Bulls and then suffered an ankle injury. It looked pretty bad, but it's supposedly one to two weeks. And for Okafor, I think there appeared to be a path for him to make the Pelicans. Part of that depends on what happens with Alexia Jinsa, who had knee surgery over the summer, still hasn't been cleared for contact. He's been doing some player development stuff. Uh, there was some thought that maybe he could get a medical retirement, uh, but you know, it looks like he is trying to work his way back, so that may not happen. But w- with him in the last year of his contract, he basically is salary fodder, isn't going to figure in the Pell's plans this year, so maybe if they move on from him, that gives Okafor a better shot at a roster slot. And, and so I think uh, Okafor could still potentially make this team, although with Randall, Miritich, Cech Diallo all in theory ahead, you know, he's looking more like a fifth big man and not necessarily a guy who can come in and play a role. You know, he's more a guy you throw it to to get some offense, perhaps, rather than you know, a plug-and-play type of big man at the end of your roster. We'll move to Dallas where Dirk Nowitzki is, looks like he's questionable to start the regular season, per Tim McMahon, and the last that came out was, I think it was a couple days ago when when the, they were going to China, which they're going to play I think on Friday morning is the first game there, that it will be weeks, not days, before Nowitzki gets back. And Dirk said that, Rick Carlo said that. And so 
it was already semi-announced or expected that Dirk was not going to be an opening night starter, that they were going to transition him into a different role. But this, you know, this injury could affect, you know, getting getting the balance right at the beginning of the season, to be sure. In Denver, Gary Harris has been sitting out, but that's supposedly precautionary. Uh, same thing with Jamal Murray uh, suffering an ankle injury. They didn't play against the Lakers on Tuesday night. But uh, more interesting, no timetable at all as camp starts for Michael Porter Jr. Rampant speculation even before he had that second back surgery that he might just sit out the entire year. And then Jared Vanderbilt, the other talented player they drafted uh, coming off a foot surgery, he is not practicing yet either and does not have any kind of a timetable that's been announced. And so that's going to put more pressure on their active players, depending on even what they do with two-way spots, because Isaiah Thomas is still out as well. So they're going to, Monty Morris is going to be taking a role, but and they and they have enough depth. I mean, I was happy to see Juancho Hernan Gomez actually look pretty good yeah. in limited we'll minutes see. against in we'll both see. of the Lakers I'm, games. I'm skeptical about whether they have a depth, uh, person. They, they certainly don't have enough proven depth, I would say, but the, that's, the, that's they fair. do have options and young players with pedigree who could come through, but uh, you know, that remains to be seen whether they can or not. Speaking of a lack of proven depth, Chicago's guard rotation is a little bit weaker right now because Denzel Valentine is out a couple weeks with an ankle tweak, and it's not the first time he's had those issues. And then something that I'm kind of filtering in the back of my mind, Omer Oshik is out indefinitely with inflammatory arthritis, which might be related to uh, his Crohn's disease. And Oshik, not a huge part of the Bulls' plans, but this could kind of parallel Mirza Toledovic, who the Bucks wanted to, to come back, but he actually recently retired, in that if Oshik can't play, instead of just having to spread out the money remaining on the final year of his contract, I believe this year is pretty much spoken for, they could get a, basically get a injury exclusion for that, and then it would be a little bit cleaner for the Bulls clearing cap space next summer. Yeah, and Oshik, for some reason, I guess tanking purposes, they played him in four games down the end of the season. Oh yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to mention that, because if they hadn't played him during those games, a lot of the timing on injury-related exclusions is about one year after the last time they played. If he didn't play in those games, I think it would have been it would have been early in this season that they could have applied for an exclusion. Uh, the last game he had played before that was on January 30th with the Pels, right before that trade. I, I don't really understand why the Pels traded him either. Although hilariously, in a game against Sacramento, he played. Well, he was he was filler in the he was filler in the mirror. Right, no, no, I understand that, but I'm saying like if you're the Pels, why were you trading him like or, or playing him? Why weren't you sort of just hoping that we don't play him and then you know this medical thing happens? But I guess he was healthy enough to play. He actually played 24 minutes in his last game before the trade to Chicago. Maybe they're trying to prove he was healthy or something. Uh, but other than that, it, he didn't play uh, more than 18 minutes all season. And so we'll see what happens with him. He does have three million or so guaranteed for next year. At this point, we started the season, so getting the cap space for this season, you know, was never really going to happen anyway. But uh, yeah, I mean, they certainly would be wise to not play him at all this year and, and get some salary relief. But in theory, with them trying to use cap space next year, we're talking about a one million dollar difference. The thought would be that they would stretch him next year and spread that three million dollars over three years. So uh, not a major issue either way, except for cap dorks like us. Uh, in Brooklyn, Shaz Napier, sorry dude, uh, pulled his hamstring last week. He doesn't have a timetable yet from what I've seen, but that, that is not particularly, double check that. Yeah, still not practicing uh, and hamstrings can be tricky. This is another one of those spate of hamstring injuries that happened early in camp. Another of those, Milos Teodosic, another kind of overuse type of injury. He's not back yet either and with that Clippers backcourt being such a war, uh, Shade Gilgis Alexander supposedly looking good early in camp. You could see Teo falling out of the, the rotation. The, the concern about 
him always was, hey, is he going to be able to hold up physically in the NBA? So far, the answer to that has been no. And certainly, I think Teo, if he does get healthy, could be a trade candidate. The question just becomes, what's the price? Because certainly not anything close to a first-round pick for him. But you think if he can get back on the court, he might look good in, say, a Phoenix or Orlando uniform. Uh, Those are the two teams that probably have the biggest holes at point guard and are, in theory, trying to uh, go for it and play well, at least early in the season. Uh, You just wrote about this. Do you want to bring us up to date on the Patrick McCaw situation? Yeah, this is interesting and bizarre. There's also some reporting from Anthony Slater of The Athletic, which is worth, uh, I'll, I'll mention some of it. But so basically the way that qualifying offers work, we focus a lot on the early deadline in July, where basically it can be, a qualifying offer can be unilaterally revoked by a team as long as it hasn't yet been signed by a player through, It's a, there's a point in mid-July, I think it's July 13th off the top of my head. And then at that point, then you can do it with both the player and the team kind of pulling the same, pull, turning their keys at the same time. That actually happened with the Bucks and, Jul- and Jabari Parker this summer. But the one that doesn't get talked about much because it doesn't happen very often is that if the qualifying offer runs all the way through to October 1st, then basically it can come off the board unless the team chooses to keep it on the board. And what that does, like you go, oh, well, that could be interesting for the player. Well, no, it isn't because for the player, there's still a restricted free agent. Like Patrick McCaw is still a restricted free agent, but that in his case, 1.7 million qualifying offer is not on the table anymore. So the reporting that, that Slater has out there is that McCaw's representation wanted him to sign that offer. And then the only other thing that was on the table that we know of was the Warriors offering a two-year, $5 million offer, but the second year was non-guaranteed. So that's actually even more favorable for the Warriors because they could lock him in at a, a, fa- a friendly price. And for, he didn't want either of those options. So the question that I've been getting a lot is, well, what the hell happens now? And the answer is, I don't know. Yeah, and, and some more troubling reporting from Slater in there. Not troubling necessarily, but not great when it's getting out there that his representation recommended he do something and that he decided against it. I mean, you wonder, like, who's telling you that? Is that agent? Like, that, a little weird. You know, you, I don't think you want that getting out there. If you're the agent, I mean, maybe that's like, that's kind of behavior that's like good for the agent, but not good for the player, you know? And uh, it sounds like his father is becoming more involved in the process and that he wants more playing time. Although, frankly, I think he could play more with the Warriors, although the idea is that he wants to like have a larger role in terms of having the ball in his hands more. But I mean, no one's going to give that to him at this point with any kind of a guarantee. And it doesn't sound like he has much of an offer out there. Now, if I were another team that had, say, part of my room exception, I'll have to remember every offer sheet has to be two years, although it doesn't have to be uh, fully guaranteed necessarily. But you can't have an option. It's got to be at least uh, two years. Uh, the Warriors offering that two-year, $5 million deal. But the second year, either non-guaranteed or a team option. We've seen uh, reporting on that either way. And so, I mean, I think I probably would just go back to the Warriors if I were McCall. But if I were another team, I don't think there's offers out there. You know, I might be willing to offer McCall a, a two-year, $6 million offer sheet just just based on what he flashed in his rookie year. Just like, again, we've talked about this. Guys who have the talent on the wing to be good players on both ends. He certainly didn't show it last year. He struggled with injuries, but he showed it in, in uh, his rookie year. Like, those guys need to get more chances. Even if there's only a 25% chance that they come through, you need to, if you're a team that needs help on the wing, give guys like that a shot just based on the low probability that they might come through and really be a valuable player for you. So that's uh that situation. Don't see it getting resolved anytime soon, necessarily. In Indiana, Thad Young is yet to participate uh, in practice with a bruised foot. That is not good. They really need him defensively 
defensively, although this could lead to seeing a lot more of Sabonis and Miles Turner together. I'm not a believer that that combination really is going to work as well as the Pacers think it will, although with those guys both being young and no power forward of the future on the roster outside of Sabonis, it does make sense to try it. I don't think it's going to go too well. Uh, what else we got here? Owner of the Houston Rockets, Tillman Fertitta, made a, he, he talked with Jonathan Fagan of the Houston Chronicle about the luxury tax. Yeah, and like, I think it was actually a press conference that he had pretty early on. Yeah. It might have been a press conference that Fagan, Fagan recapped. Yeah. That could very well be. I, I was thinking about his piece. And so it was, it was really interesting. Uh, like there was kind of the, the bridge that he was trying to cover of like, basically the tax is really burdensome and you don't want to pay the repeater tax, but they're not going to shy away from paying the tax for the right team. But really what this does for me is it flies in the face of what they were saying before of, oh, we're not even talking about the luxury tax because when one of the options on the table is bringing back Trevor Reza on a one-year contract at a price that is commensurate with his value in the league, absent the luxury tax part of it, you are considering the luxury tax. And so, I mean, it's it's good to have what we said be basically kind of con- in- informally confirmed, and, but it is a concern because championship windows are always narrow. And whatever teams, you know, whenever teams get a little bit cute, teams get a little bit cheap, it can have real consequences. And this one, you know, their downgrades at various positions this offseason are more significant to me than like Miami using the amnesty provision on Mike Miller, let's say. Yeah, and we'll see. You know, maybe Daryl Morey can cobble it together. Uh, but certainly for Tina's comments to McMahon, which were made at Summer League, probably, you know, in the uh, the pit of despair, as Ethan talked about, where everyone schmoozes, you know, you can kind of get interviews. And, and I think McMahon maybe just probably just went up to him and, and he wasn't really prepared to have a party line in these comments. But he said, oh, we haven't talked about the luxury tax one time in a meeting. Well, uh, certainly these comments, and that was always completely ridiculous uh, for him to say that because their moves were clearly made with the tax in mind. Uh, they've done a great job getting Capella for as cheaply as they did, minimizing the tax bill this year. They've done a fantastic job. Uh, but nonetheless, it does seem like they are very focused on that, especially when this is the first year they'll be paying the tax. The repeater tax is four years away from now, potentially. And granted, Chris Paul has a four-year contract, so it's something they might have to deal with. Uh, and the other thing that he says, oh, I'm happy to pay the, the luxury tax. And then he had this joke, but you know, these jokes have some truth to it. Sometimes like, well, if we're paying the tax and we're not a championship contender, I'll find myself a new GM. You know, it's just kind of like, uh, you know, just some of the things that have been happening here with Fertitta. There's a little watching that, you know, he may not be quite the owner that Leslie Alexander was in terms of the Rockets fortunes, but they have Daryl Morey. They have all these players already when he came in. So it's going to be hard for him to screw it up. Uh, but I do wonder a little bit, uh, and especially that he doesn't seem like the absolute easiest guy to work for. Seems like he's got a little bit of an ego. Seems like he doesn't have that much money compared to a lot of NBA owners. And so, you know, two, three years ago from now, when the Rockets kind of start to fall off, eh, you know, just keep an eye on maybe Maury moving up. We'll see. I'm uh that's just a very vague prediction. We're probably going to totally forget about it three years from now, but just this kind of a feeling at the back of my head. Also, uh, Joe Chi has missed the start of camp with an A. We should also mention that on a Miami standpoint, James Johnson is still not cleared for contact after that May hernia surgery that he had. And Josh Richardson has missed both of their preseason games with a thigh bruise. And I I kind of did a hmm tweet at that when Ira Winderman said that he was out. And I believe Bam didn't play in their last game as well. I cannot speak to the severity of it. But it is also true that if you are in, theoretically, if you were to be in negotiations on a player, then you were happy with kind of where the terms were. You would probably not want that, not the your side of that negotiation to 
to be playing in meaningless preseason games. And you would imagine that Josh Richardson would have to be part of any Jimmy Butler trade. Let me ask you this, Danny, real quickly. Would you trade, I mean, assuming that some relatively insignificant salary could be found to help match it, would you trade Josh Richardson essentially straight up for Jimmy Butler? Who's who's more valuable right now? Well, I think that, that Richardson's contract is is better than Jimmy yeah. than Jimmy he, Butler's he, he is on this Richardson, one and next one. Right. So for four years, yeah. 42 million. That's just starting right now. So like he, he's better on that contract, but what, what Jimmy Butler does is he gives you kind of a, a jolt. Like Josh Richardson is, is a player that makes what you have better. And Jimmy Butler's a, an ability to kind of elevate your plane. And if, you know, I, considering I didn't, I wasn't excited about where Miami was, you know, like that, that sort of situation, I'm far more okay with making that sort of a move by going a little bit bigger. And, you know, maybe Jimmy Butler resigns, maybe he doesn't, depending on how this year goes. I could see him being a great fit with their culture. So I, yeah, I, I, I probably would do it, but it's, you know, I understand the risk involved and I could understand that you might disagree with that because I, I think you're even higher on Richardson than I am. Yeah, you can certainly make the argument that a young guy like Richardson doesn't have many miles on him. Four more years at a below average starter level, solid three and D guy, can guard a lot of threes, maybe not all of them, but uh, that he's more valuable than Butler, who certainly looks to be better this year, but he's going to be 30 and then is uh, going to require, even if, if he does resign, a five-year contract that is going to end up being pretty awful. Uh, but I think, you know, it depends on where you are as an organization, but certainly I, I think a, a very interesting question. A couple more things. Lonzo Ball played four on four, has played a little bit of five on five uh, in camp, but uh, has not played yet in the preseason. And J.R. Smith suffering from hip soreness. He hasn't practiced in full yet either, and he's in uh, a competition with some players on the wing in Cleveland. Possible, especially with them in a little more of a building mode, uh, that he could be out of the rotation. And, and frankly, he's played really poorly these last few years, but at least had the chemistry with LeBron James, and now they don't have that reason to play him anymore. And then in Atlanta, Justin Anderson had shin surgery in June to deal with some shin splints. Uh, he is not cleared yet. He's going to be reevaluated early in October. And then uh, Dwayne Dedman dealing with an avulsion fracture in his ankle. Not as bad as it might sound with the fracture and avulsion fracture is basically a little piece of bone on the end of your ligament gets kind of pulled off the rest of the bone when you sprain your ankle. And so, you know, it's basically just a, a little bit of a complication with the ankle sprain. Supposedly not serious, but uh interesting with their big man rotation. Alex Len could get a little bit more time now. Maybe we'll see some more John Collins at center, which I hope rather than uh, at the four. Um By the way, did you see that awesome Trey Young pass off the backboard in traffic to John Collins for a dunk the other day? That was fantastic. That was nasty. I mean, tr- and good to get a reminder for people who think of Trey Young just as a shooter that he's also a very intuitive and and good passer. And just as a broad point, you and I have talked about this at various moments on the live show and on the podcast. I feel like players in general should use the backboard more. Like this was the LeBron passing it off the backboard to himself when he got stuck. Aaron Gordon actually had a really nice one last year as well. That's a different kind of thing. But generally speaking, it just adds kind of, if you want to think about it to the geometry of the floor, it's just angles and, and other options that guys should use as often as they can. All right, we got to get to our breakout and regression candidates. But first, this is from Ancestry, these leading consumer DNA tests. With Ancestry, you'll learn a more complete story of you. My sister-in-law actually tried it and found out some pretty interesting stuff about their family. They're half Chinese, but found out that actually more uh, than 50% of their ancestry was Asian. Their dad is actually, they thought, uh, pretty much Irish. But then it turned out he had a bunch of Viking blood 
uh, as well. So uh, they were really very interested to see. I'm waiting on the results uh, of my test right now. Uh, I'm Jewish, uh, got a lot of kind of murky Eastern European blood with that. So I'm very interested to see how that ends up turning out. Uh, I always consider myself a European mutt is what I would tell people. So interested in finally getting, you know, we know our history pretty well for when we get to uh, the U.S., but before that, don't really know it that well. Uh, why go with Ancestry? Well, you can find your origins in more than 350 regions around the world and two times greater geographic detail than any other DNA test. They've got the largest online collection of family history records, and this can really magnify your DNA results for more insight into your genealogy and origins. I've actually taken the test. I just haven't gotten my results yet. It's just incredibly easy. Just fill up a tube with some saliva and send it over to them. The way to get started, Ancestry.com slash Capspace gets you 20% off your Ancestry DNA kit. Ancestry.com slash Capspace is that URL to get 20% off your Ancestry DNA kit. Ancestry.com slash Capspace. Use that URL and let them know that came from us. All right, so I think we'll come up with maybe four each in the breakout and regression category. So why don't you uh, give us a start here, Danny? Sure. So for, for me, I'd like to think about breakout guys in terms of improvement, like just being better basketball players, opportunity, or both. And so Victor Oladipo is a good guy to think about here. I mean, last year's most improved player, not a precedent because he's just, that was such a ridiculous thing. Kevin Pelton wrote a nice piece on this that you can read if you want to. But he had the opportunity by getting the ball in his hands more and not playing with Russell Westbrook. He was a way better basketball player. So he he did both. And so the first guy I want to talk about, I have no idea if he's going to be a better basketball player, but James Ennis gets to be in the funhouse mirror now. And that means getting much better shots. That means a system that I think will do well for him defensively. Their switch heavy scheme will make him look good. And just as a point of reference, James Ennis's career highs in full season. So that's, I think I drew it at like 60 games or more in a season. An 11.6 PER, 588 true shooting, which is actually a pretty high number. He might not blow that away or anything. 7.1 points per game and four rebounds per game. And then I didn't even get into his three-point shooting and stuff. I'm sure he'll blow through those numbers as well. So I just think he's, people are going to realize that he's a very good basketball player and a wonderful fit for this Houston Rockets team. So even though you and I have been high on him for a while, he seems like the most obvious example to me. Yeah. uh, One reason to pump the brakes on him is it looks like Eric Gordon may actually start for them uh, over Ennis, which is a surprise to me now. uh, And that they'll leave PJ Tucker in the starting lineup. Uh, We'll see, however, uh, whether that ends up happening. It could be, uh, and he has been playing to rave reviews early in camp. He certainly was on my list uh, as well as a possibility. I think that's one uh, with the situation. And I think defensively, he's someone who has been a little bit better than, uh, at least by my eye test, than kind of his reputation was coming in. I'm going to start with a second-year player, Jared Allen. I think has looked very good in his limited summer league run, just has so much length, plays hard, is able to switch on the perimeter. You know, I think it's possible that he could have a Clint Capella type of breakout. He doesn't have quite that level of explosion around the basket, but I think he actually can be a a better shot blocker than Capella, better traditional rim-protecting instincts than Capella, and also just a really exciting player. I mean, he goes up to try and dunk everything around the rim. Zach Lowe had this stat uh, that he really protects the rim when he's in the area uh, per the second spectrum cameras uh, about as well as anyone in the league. So I'm really looking forward to seeing him. He has a clear path towards playing time here uh, with Houston, or I'm sorry, with we were talking about Houston with uh, Ennis. With Brooklyn, you know, he's got Ed Davis behind him, Kenneth Fareed maybe as a backup center, but clearly the thought is that he is the center of the future, uh, drafted 22nd overall a couple years ago, and, and I think he, he might be, as we talked about on the East Over Unders, their best 
chance at getting a guy who's going to be an average or above starter and I think it other than strength uh, I am hopeful that he's not going to have too many holes in his game he even with took a uh, corner three uh, looked okay shooting that in summer league so I, I think he could uh, really experience a, a breakout if he gets enough playing time and he's on track to do that this season I like that you included Alan he actually was basically my my top honorable mention guy so I'm really happy you brought him up part of the reason why he made that list instead of my breakouts is that he, when I looked at the numbers he actually played better last year than I remembered it was just that the sample was smaller right. just with the way it worked out and so that was a little bit different for me I'll go to somebody who did not play well last year and that's Dennis Smith this will be Dennis Smith's age 21 season and I might be a year early on this it happens sometimes where it's like you like a guy but and then the new but he was one of the most destructive players in the league last year trying to do too much on a Dallas team that was just they just weren't all the way there they also got killed in crunch time so they didn't perform and one of the things that I fixated on was the balance that Dennis Smith had last year between catch and shoot threes and pull-up threes so last year he shot 37% on catch and shoots 27% on pull-ups but he shot more pull-ups than catch and shoot and Luka Doncic being there so the the proxy I did was that if you switch Dennis Smith's proportions of those two things to what Jamal Murray had last year which was 60 40 as opposed to you know more like 40 60 the other way then even with that awful 27% on pull-up threes Dennis Smith would have made about 33% so that's a meaningful jump about about over a percentage point from what he did and so you expect improvement there also shifting Dirk out of the starting lineup should help Smith a little bit defensively just because they'll have better fallback options not that they're playing great defensive power forwards or anything like that but if he can make the transition, the parallel here might be kind of like Jamal Murray, where it took him a year to really kind of figure out where things were. And also Jokic really established himself in a role. So Smith, had, so Murray had to do a little bit less. And again, I might be a year early, but I think he'll be much better this year. Yeah, I, I did not pick him for that reason. Uh, and what the chemistry is going to be between he and Luka Doncic, certainly the way they're raving about Doncic, it seems like he's going to be number one there in the pecking order. And we'll see. Smith's game doesn't jump out at me. I, I agree with you that his shot selection could have been better, but his game doesn't jump out at me as someone who, you know, gets a lot more efficient w- with lower usage. You know, I think he kind of is what he is in that respect, but hopefully they'll run more, which I think w- would be huge for him. Certainly, I expect him to, to take a leap and to still look good this year, but I wasn't quite willing to put him on there yet, but I, I you know, I'm, I don't agree with the, or I'm sorry, I don't disagree with the theory of what you're saying. This is one actually that, as a veteran, uh, jumped out to me, and that's Eric Bledsoe. Eric Bledsoe really... Interesting. Interesting. Uh, you know, my theory is that the Bucks are going to be a lot better this year. Uh, Eric Bledsoe, you know, I think it, the thought was before he came to the Bucks that he was a top 15 point guard, maybe even a top 12 point guard in the league. And I think that Bledsoe has always had great defensive talent, but really just struggled mentally, especially in that series against Boston. And so I think that Bledsoe, with the beauty of what Coach Bud is going to bring them, I think it's just more consistent execution. I think that Bledsoe is especially defensively, is going to be able to take a major step forward this year. He looked pretty good athletically. He had probably an underrated regular season as the Bucks made their playoff push. And then, you know, there's really, in terms of what the perception of him is, a little bit of a stink on him because he played so poorly, made so many mistakes in that Celtic series. But I think Coach Bug can help him cut down on those. Uh, they are going to play with a lot more spacing on this Bucks team with Brooke Lopez at center. Bledsoe is going to be able to get to the basket, physically overwhelm smaller point guards. We see that Bud, the way they move the ball. Bledsoe is a guy who physically is very good, but doesn't have a ton of moves. And so that means that Bud, the way they move the ball from side to side, get guys moving with an advantage, get guys in the blender. I mean, that's where Quinn Snyder kind of got a lot 
lot of those concepts was from Coach Bud. And so playing with space, being able to catch the ball on the move on the second side, get right into the lane with that overwhelming physicality that he has. I think he can have a really, really good year this season. And, you know, I think we'll be talking about him in a different way at the end of this year, I believe, assuming that he can stay healthy, which he did all of last. I thought about putting Malcolm Brogdon on this list for very similar reasons in case Eric Bledsoe disappoints that Brogdon, you know, could could get back to that level and actually maybe push Bledsoe out a little bit just because Bledsoe's going to, they're both free agents this coming year and he's going to be demanding money as an unrestricted free agent. And the other one, we're recording this on Wednesday during the day. I'm very excited to watch Milwaukee. Milwaukee's game tonight might be the single preseason game I'm most excited to see that or Dallas, one of their games to see Luka. And one of the other elements is Giannis because I still feel like there's untapped potential with Giannis offensively and defensively. And so Bud gets in that. I think there's another level that he can go up. Might not be fair to call him a breakout candidate because I mean, I had Giannis in the MVP discussion for most of last season, but I thought about it. My next guy is Jeremy Lamb. Jeremy Lamb's age 26 season. And the big reason why is because James Borrego, the new head coach, has been playing him as a starter. And what that means for Jeremy Lamb is that he can play more consistently with Kemba Walker. And as a supporting talent, this is actually kind of a parallel with Ennis and somebody else I'm going to talk about as my fourth guy. Supporting talents, who they play with, especially at the point guard primary ball handler job, is, is incredibly important because they get better shots. It changes their opportunities. And so Lamb, if he starts for the Hornets, will be not only playing with a superior point guard, but also generally with a more spaced floor and just more cogent kind of lineups out there. And with what Brigo wants to run a little bit more, which is definitely good, and shoot more. So Lamb, for, for example, last year, he did have a much lower usage when Kemba was on the floor, but he was a more efficient player. And obviously their offense was much better because their offense was a dumpster fire when Kemba Walker was down the floor. So I think this could be a good year for him. I like Jeremy Lamb. I've liked him for a long time. And I think defensively, they could fit in a little bit better because they they were going with these weird lineups with MKG and Batum and Marvin all together. And so those guys can all play, but it, it didn't fit perfectly. And I think Lamb could actually make those lineups fit a little bit better because MKG was a little bit of kind of like a hat on a hat defensively and then offensively had all those negatives. Yeah, it looks like his role is going to be reduced. I think that is an interesting one. And Lamb quietly played better. That's something that Spencer Percy talked about a lot when we did the Hornet preview. My next guy is, is going to be another one of these guys who was great last year, but you know I think could ascend even another plane, and that's Nikola Jokic. Now is the unquestioned leader of the Nuggets offense, recipient of that near-max contract. He's got a, a few incentives in there. Uh, but the way that he played in the last month of the season a year ago, now granted those stats are always a little bit fluky, but he's looked amazing in preseason so far, again, against a, a Lakers team that doesn't really have anyone to slow him down. Uh, but I think the way he shot the ball from three-point range, you know, he's on pace to have maybe the best passing career ever as a big man. I mean, just, he was averaging six assists down the end of, of last year. And I think he is going to get into the post even more now as the rest of the league gets smaller. Yeah, he might struggle a little bit more defensively, but offensively, I mean, I think he's just primed for a monster year. While they're probably not going to play guys who are as limited offensively around him, you know, I think Will Barton starting also, uh, their starting lineup with Will Barton looked awesome. You know, they may not stop anybody with that lineup again, but I think just Will Barton is such an upgrade offensively over Wilson Chandler. And, uh, you know, certainly Jokic is someone who I think was, has continued to grow from being kind of a league pass favorite and, and advanced stats favorite into really arriving more in the popular consciousness. And I think, you know, his conventional stats, I think he's going to be well over 20 points a game this year, going to get 10 rebounds, six assists. I mean, that's going to be just a nasty player, uh, even 
by the conventional statistics and I think people will have a better understanding we'll see where the Nuggets end up here I'm a little lower on some of their competition in the West than a lot of people and so if the Nuggets are in competition for the three seed probably maybe more Utah substantially ahead of them but I think they've got just about as good a chance of anyone uh, of getting the four seed and if if that's the case I think we'll be talking about Jokic much differently that's a really good call I mean he was an absolute monster at the end of last year Adam Mares talked about that when we did the uh, Northwest Division podcast for Real Jam Radio and I hadn't heard the stats at that point and it just knocked my socks off and just just how good I'd watched a lot of those games of course but just how great he had been and maybe not to that extent but there's no reason to believe that could continue I didn't put him on my list but I thought about Ben Simmons for kind of a similar reason I mean he was a remarkable player for a lot of last year and generally really good players when they're really young get a lot better that's the way it works it's not a fluke I didn't end up putting him on but same logic my last guy this parallels a lot of the other guys that I picked Josh Hart age 23 season this is this is one of my favorite things that I pulled in a long time last season Josh Hart played 564 minutes with Jordan Clarkson 332 minutes with Tyler Ennis 207 with Alex Caruso and just 224 minutes with Lonzo Ball so as a dependent offensive talent and he can do more with the ball in his hands than we can credit for he hasn't had the opportunity and he had a pretty efficient year you know 40% on threes basically 60% true shooting but he's going to get the opportunity to play with some of the best distributors in the entire league Luke Walton looks like they're going to go 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 and Josh Hart is a absolutely perfect fit for what they're trying to do can kind of fill in the spaces that they need at the two guard position I like him a lot better as a fit obviously than Lance and then KCP it's going to depend on what KCP we see so I really like Josh Hart I think he's I, I think he'll eventually be the starter he might even start as the starter which would be really yeah, exciting for me he did and so I'm I'm a big believer in Hart I think he's a perfect fit so he's my breakout guy yeah and most encouraging to me about him is just the number of three-point attempts he's getting up he took eight threes in that preseason game you know he's not playing all those minutes with starters obviously uh my last guy is Willie Hernan Gomez uh someone yes someone completely forgotten about traded to Charlotte for two first round picks still has another two years left on that contract he signed as a second rounder essentially at the minimum but with Cody Zeller always an injury risk probably gonna be limited in the number of minutes he can play if Hernan Gomez is a wonderful pick and roll player he's been stretching it out to three having a very efficient preseason so far certainly defensive limitations are there but it sounds like Borrego another guy who's just gonna be encouraging his team to bomb to run uh and so there'll be a lot of possessions available and to the extent that Hernan Gomez he can either go in and and feast on opposing backup centers offensively uh, or if he becomes the primary pick and roll guy with Kemba Walker he could be a real beneficiary there as well doesn't really have any competition uh, at backup center unless you want to count uh, Bismack Biombo, which I don't particularly uh and so he had a really nice summer league he's just uh, I think someone that's been forgotten about but a guy who at the a minimum can give you Ennis Cancer production with maybe if not different defense physically uh a little smarter defense than Ennis Cantor can give you and so I think you know we might be talking about Hernan Gomez especially if Zeller misses time again he's supposedly healthy with the knee but uh there's it's always a question mark how durable Zeller can be uh we could be talking about Hernan Gomez as a legitimate starting center by the end of this year uh and certainly when you consider like how off the radar he has been uh I would consider that a breakout. I would too, and I watched a fair portion of both of their games against the Celtics over the last few days, and one of the things that struck me in both of those games was was Willie, and or Billy, and he, I just kept on saying, like, why why isn't he a locked-in part of this rotation? Because he was doing a really nice job offensively, and then defensively,
defensively, he was, you know, not amazing, but doing a good enough job. And, you know, they, they made the move to bring back Bismack Biombo, and there are certainly things that Biombo can do. But Aaron Gomez, they gave up, I think, two seconds to get him during the middle of last season. I really like that pick. A couple other guys that I want to mention, Jordan Bell. I mean, I, I, I thought he was the best center on the Warriors last year. Well, I mean, David West is a little uh, bit complicated, but I, I thought think, Jordan Bell I was... I think Kerr is going to screw him again. He might. He very well might. And, but, Which actually, I mean, that's a, a possible in the regular season, might not be... We talked about them maybe doing this with McCaw, but McCaw ended up screwing himself last year by playing really poorly. But uh, you could just see if they hold down his minutes uh, just so that he's not too expensive next year. I mean, that could be part of it. So they can keep him around. It'll be a restricted free agent. Yeah. But, but hey, at could least be. they had that one year of Nick Young rather than giving Bell a three-year contract. The other guy on the Bucks we talked about, you brought up Eric Bledsoe, which I think is a good choice. This would be a really nice year for Thon Maker to break out. He could be a, a, a nice fit for what the Bucks want to do defensively and then offensively just somebody else who can space the floor would be very useful for them. I'm, you know, he's in an honorable mention. And then another guy, I was reading Sirit Sohi's piece on kind of the Raptors gelling and everything like that and she talked about how Nurse's system was going to give more agency to the bigger guys and it reminded me of how much Pascal Siakam improved last year and I was shocked at how much more complete of basketball player he was last year than the year before and so I wanted to mention him because if he can take any semblance of that kind of improvement again he could be an even bigger part of this team and I even was toying with the idea last night of whether he might end up being the fifth guy in their closing lineup I think it's possible he's there by the end of this year yeah certainly if they go with the switch everything approach and I also expect Valanciunas to have a good year with all the other threats that they have on the scene the way they'll be he had some nice plays yesterday they were playing um I mean he would going into some of those battles and you're sitting there with Gobert like oh god like he's going to get swallowed up and he's you know Valanciunas understands how much space he needs and you know he he's not perfect he doesn't fit in with what I love in in a center moving forward in the modern NBA but yeah he could have a nice year a few other guys that come to mind for me uh Montrez Harrell I think could be this clip starting center or at least their closing center by the end of the year Juancho Hernan Gomez has uh, had some moments early on a guy that we liked and then just had really a totally off the radar second year uh in part due to that mono that he had early on not inconceivable to me that he could surpass Trey Lyles and also get some time as a backup three uh Wayne Selden someone I've always liked Uh, unclear exactly how that starting shooting guard positioning is going to shake out in Memphis but I I like him the most uh, of those players Alfred Payton certainly is one who comes to mind has not played on a team with any kind of spacing uh this will be the best coach that he's had in his career and I mean with AD and Miritich in the starting lineup Drew Holiday around him Etuan Moore another good shooter uh I think it's a great chance you know pushing the ball and transition the way they did last year I think it's if he can't succeed in this situation he just doesn't have the talent but I think you know he could put up uh certainly at least in terms of the box score stats a a pretty nice year we'll see whether they can get him to defend or not and this is going to be a breakout considering the heights that he's reached in his career but I do think that Carmelo Anthony uh is going to shoot it a lot better than he did last year it just it was somewhat inexplicable that he shot as poorly on open shots as he did last year and I think he can at least improve there and he's going to have you know this doesn't mean that he's going to be you know a panacea for them or that he should be playing late in games but he can have a better year than he had last year 
I want to mention one more guy, and I was watching some of the Cavs Celtics game yesterday, and David Nwaba, I could absolutely see him starting at the by the end of this year for the Cavs. Like I just love the effort he plays with. He's they not a perfect player by any means. Skill set on the wing, right? And so he could end up because he, he there's the the line between like three and D th- small forward, and just between being a starter and being like a valuable rotation player and being it's it, it's still fuzzy to me. And he could be a really interesting test case for that, especially because he's basically the only guy who does that on their roster. I will talk about our regression candidates here, but one reason I am happy to get home is to burrow into my burrow couch. And while I hope that we do not move from uh, the house that we bought around this time last year, if we had to, moving that couch would be exceedingly easy. It's modular. It's fully customizable. took me about five minutes to put it together by myself. uh, And therefore, you can take it apart and put it back together. It makes it really easy to move in and out of any space and everything is personalized to you the arm height sofa color leg material size we've got a love seat but if we wanted to put it in a larger area it'd be easy to grab another piece and make it three people wide instead of two it's the only sofa that grows with you and fits with your life there's a, a usb charger for when you're binge watching you look down and your phone's almost dead you can go ahead and charge it as well just right there in the couch it's pretty awesome their website is exceedingly easy to use exceedingly easy to customize everything and that site is burrowed dot com slash cap space easy to remember slash cap space we talk about all the time in the program that's b-u-r-r-o-w dot com slash cap space you can get $75 off your burrow sofa once again $75 off your burrow sofa at burrow.com slash cap space burrow furniture that's fit for modern life at home okay let's make people angry with our regression candidate well, I'll probably make people less angry because mine aren't really star players. <laughs> it's just guys that I thought of that aren't going to be the same as they were. I don't care about appeal necessarily in this. But the first guy I thought of, and it's sad because I like him a lot, is Anthony Tolliver. So this is going to be his age 33 season. Last year, he shot 44% on threes with the highest three-point attempt rate of his career in his age 32, was also the highest full season usage of his career. And now he's going to a team that doesn't necessarily use his skill set as well. I mean, we've seen Tibbs kind of battle with this, whereas Stan Van Gundy was very comfortable with the three-point shooting power forward. And also something that's concerning about Tolliver is that his defensive rebound percentage was just 12.3% last year. And that's, you know, Minnesota has centers. It's not like he's going to be asked to do that, but that would be a problem depending on how they kind of have the Jimmy Butler situation resolves and what they're getting from their guards as rebounders. If you have a power forward who's just not providing much value there, it could be problematic. I'm going to start with someone who I really like as a player and was absolutely key to his team's success a year ago but as a groundbound power forward who is reliant on switching and also shot basically the best of his career from three-point range a season ago when you consider both the, the volume and percentage I'm a little worried about pj tucker uh especially because they don't have now as many guys on the wing as he can be pressed into guarding the best guy on the wing now as instead of being more of a help defender if he has to do that I don't think he has quite quick enough feet at his age, 33 season, to do that any longer. You wonder a little bit about his shooting again. Quietly did not have that great of a PER last year either. Uh, can he make shots above the break? You know, he shot better from the corners. Uh, is he going to be able to stay healthy at his age? How many minutes is he going to have to play? There's a, a guy who, you know, doesn't have, a, he's someone that I really like a lot as a player. I hope that I am wrong about this, but someone who they're kind of just counting on here to be as good 
good as he was last year and at his age his pedigree gonna be 33 it's a little bit concerning to me that you know they're because he's the type of player and at the type of age where you can drop off a cliff a little bit and just be unplayable offensively and just be a little bit too slow to really stay in front of guys on switches he's always going to have that big body he's an excellent post defender but you know if he gets switched out on to say you know a Steph Curry is he going to be able to guard him you know is he going to be able to stay in front of some of the quickest guys in that switching scheme you know that could end up being a a, a little bit of a question mark and is he going to be able to bring that same incredible energy late in games on the offensive glass uh just mostly age related here uh it's a concern because I think he had a wonderful year last year and some regression could be coming well yeah and he only played I mean so 27 minutes per game last year and that was close to the career high for him he has been in the 30s before but it had been a little while since he did that as a member of the Phoenix Suns and so that's a a, a little bit of a concern too and with PJ Tucker this is something that gets talked about all the time and it really pisses me off people like who don't rely on their athleticism and so they go oh well it's not as big a deal if they get slower no it matters a lot because there are certain thresholds that if you can't meet that anymore then you just become unplayable Dirk is a really obvious example of this where yeah he had he was kind of patching it together for a while and then he just became unplayable defensively basically for because of losing that half step I think of Paul Pierce is another example here and PJ Tucker could easily fit into that conversation who's your next one my next one another guy that I like but Wayne Ellington you'll hear this from me a couple times anytime a guy has the best season of his career and it's after the age of 30 I'm always a little bit skeptical and Ellington compounds a couple of those concerns because he derives so much of his value as a three-point shooter do you happen to remember because it it stunned me just how extreme this was do you know what his three-point attempt rate was last year like per 36 minutes no no his his sorry the proportion of his shots that were threes oh god probably like 85 percent. but I, and his three-point attempt rate per 36 minutes i think he was like over 10 attempts per 36 minutes which is you know that's a very valuable player but uh yeah i, I could certainly see some regression coming there yeah so exactly so he yeah, was 10.2 per 36 and it was 83 percent of his shots were three-pointers last year so any downtick there i mean he doesn't get to the free throw line he doesn't get to the basket he d- does everything there and so while i loved what went ellington brought last year i thought they should have played him more it's just it's so hard when what you do is one thing to because even if he even if he shoots like 37 percent on threes that's still a pretty significant drop in value because that's all he does so that was that's concerning to me yeah and he takes some very difficult attempts to me i think a lot of his value too just comes from the fact that you really have to guard him and uh stick with him coming off of those when his activity yeah Yeah. his activity yeah he'll provide value even if his shot isn't going in as much but and also i could see him getting more lost in the shuffle remember Dion waiters missed so much of last year and we don't know exactly when he's going to come back and i mean we don't know what's going on if they're going to get jimmy butler or something else but i don't know i am a little concerned my next guy speaking of jimmy butler is jimmy butler (laughs) uh gonna be 30 this season and coming off of knee surgery a guy who athletically to me has not looked quite as good has not looked quite as good being guys one-on-one certainly in that houston series he was coming back from the knee surgery but we'll see where he's at uh obviously probably going to be on a different team but not having a training camp with that team he's also someone who is kind of hard to fit in with him offensively because you know he likes to play with the ball in his hands he he plays at a pretty deliberate pace not a great spot-up shooter not a great guy playing a role and just at his age with the, the athleticism on the decline coming off of surgery he's going to feel a lot of pressure as well going into this contract here you could see him starting to take some more bad shots not being as efficient as he had been so i he's someone who just comes to mind for me as someone the other thing to remember too is just how ridiculous he was last year you know i mean i, I think this overstates his impact or maybe 
had his impact, but uh, may overstate how good he is. But he was fourth in the NBA in RPM last year. A lot of that came on the defensive end. Uh, he's not going to have nearly as crappy defensive teammates, probably no matter where he gets traded to this year. Uh, and, you know, 2.78 out of that, his 6.39 RPM came on the defensive end. Uh, so I don't expect his impact stats to be as good. I don't expect his efficiency to be quite as good this year. And I think that coming off the surgery, all those Tibbs miles on him, that uh, we could see him fall back to being an effective player, but not someone who's in the conversation for a top 10 player in the NBA anyway. I don't want to step on your toes if you included him, but I thought of putting on LaMarcus Aldridge for almost exactly the same reason. Like he he could have a good year and just not have as good a year as he had. Yeah, no, I mean, I, we talked about that. Uh, I didn't have him on my list, but it's certainly someone that who could bring to mind. Um, I do have another spur on, on the list, however, uh, but okay. I will, I, oh, I will well, let I'll, you go next here. I'll tease that. My next, my next one might be controversial and it's not a full like, oh, he's going to take a big step back, but I'm concerned about Andre Drummond because his role is going to shift a lot. I was very surprised and encouraged by how much he was able to do with the ball in his hands last year. And a, a stat that I found was that he had a, a 16.7 assist percentage last year without Blake Griffin on the floor, which was most of last year. And then that dropped to 4.6% when he played with Blake, just because you, you're obviously going to have a point guard with those guys. And so there just isn't enough basketball for everybody. And Griffin's ahead of him in the pecking order more often. And Drummond can be useful as a kind of a, a, a smaller role guy, but I'm concerned about that. And then the other thing is also Griffin inconsistent as a shooter. So maybe that leads to just more congestion in the lane. Also Detroit's perimeter rotation still makes me a little bit queasy. And Drummond's defense, it's not all the way there for me yet. So it's not necessarily like, oh, he's going to necessarily be worse than he was last year, but I'm just, I'm a little bit on alert with him. Yeah, I, I could see that if Reggie Jackson isn't healthy uh, and they've got Ish Smith out there as well, you know, just to not have the shooting around he and Griffin, it could be difficult. My next guy is DeMar DeRozan, someone who, I mean, I think just in the conventional wisdom, he, he's been a clear all-star in the East these last few years. The West uh, certainly will be much harder going for him. So in terms of making the all-star team, you may not see that. But worth noting that Toronto was fifth in the NBA in terms of percentage of their shots as threes last year. San Antonio was 26th in the NBA in terms of percentage of their shots as threes. Toronto actually had underrated spacing last year, I believe. And DeRozan also took 20% of his shots as threes after under 10% the previous year. Actually got to the rim more last year despite his advancing age, in part because they had better spacing. And San Antonio, at least among teams that figure to be decent, might have the worst spacing in the NBA this year. And they're probably going to play a traditional center most of the time. Uh, the guys who can shoot can't really defend, so how often are they going to play? DeJounte Murray's mid-range jumper has looked better, but you know, I don't see him being an off-ball guy shooting the ball. Greg Popovich really, you know, with Aldridge, with DeRozan, uh, don't see him spacing the floor a ton. He's been more reliant on isos and post-ups, uh, but he doesn't really even try to, like, get a ton of mismatches to, like, DeRozan can punish mismatches in the post, but not necessarily guys who have more size than him. So I think he's just going into a much more difficult offensive ecosystem this year as he gets up into his late 20s and he's not in a system now despite Popovich's brilliance that really encourages taking the right shots offensively so I think that his percentage of shots as threes is going to backslide this year uh, and that he's just not going to have the space to work the way he did it a year ago and that that's going to be a problem I think he's going to I mean he's had metronomic consistency in terms of his true shooting he's been basically right at the league average 55% the last few years uh one of his big strengths is not turning it over uh but I I expect his 
true shooting to be below the league average this year and you know that we won't necessarily be talking about him uh the way we were in Toronto in part too because he's in the West that's an interesting call I, I totally understand it and the rationale is sound I just kind of I, as I mentioned when we did the West over under Spurs magic I, I'm a little bit there but in terms of the mechanics of it you're completely right my last one is not actually a player it is a unit and that is I am really skeptical of Indiana's defense huh. and last last so they ended up 12th last year and that that in in and of itself is surprising but one of those big things is that they gave up the fifth most threes by proportion of shots about 34 percent but opponents made less fewer less than 35 percent and that was one of these one of the worst numbers in the league and when i watched the pacers i didn't really see anything in their profile that was leading me to go like the celtics let's say they're they're pretty consistently good at contesting threes and even then there isn't as much control over it from the people who have looked at this in a larger point but then the other elements of it that are concerning for me they're a bad defensive rebounding team i don't really expect that to change like miles turner is not going to figure out how yeah. to defensive rebound if he's they a player that i really like four more i think it could improve but yeah if it's, if yeah. it's Thaddeus young and turner that might be the worst defensive yeah like rebounding so that's a limitation visual depot is going to get turnovers he's an absolute steel monster and also i think they're going to be playing more guys in their rotation that aren't necessarily zealous defenders you know tyreek has his moments to be sure but like doug mcdermott mm, i'm not really a supporter there and then at, if, if they to me if they go bigger that doesn't necessarily help them because then it makes them a little bit less versatile so i don't i'm not saying they're going to be like bottom 10 necessarily but if that drops off a little bit and then the other the guy that i almost mentioned and i'll, I'll just kind of do it as a 4a and a 4b considering it's the same team is i talked about this in 15 and 60s last year but victor oladipo after the all-star break was still a very valuable player but here's what happened so he went from being a a 60 true shooting player on 30 percent usage before the all-star break to 53 percent true shooting on 31 usage and so if you want to think about that as a proxy it's kind of like going from what Kyrie Irving is as an offensive player to what John Wall was last year as an offensive player and that's a pretty significant difference I think he's probably closer to what he was pre-break but a step even a small step back would be significant for Indiana because they're thinking about how to build around Victor Oladipo and so they need to figure out what is he on both ends and I, I love Victor Oladipo I'm super impressed with him but if it's not quite what that was they probably want a more complete point guard next to him for the long term yeah I think I'm a little higher on Oladipo than you are at, at this point uh, I just really think that he can uh, I don't know if build on last year is the way to put it necessarily I think he can get some more refinement to his game because he just has this nuclear athleticism with the ball in his hands and an incredible burst and then if he can refine that a little more I actually kind of like him more as just a, a point guard and that they should they could really upgrade their defense uh, by playing him at the one and then just getting more size but uh my last guy is going to be Kevin Love and he's going to be in a totally different role this year you know maybe superficially his stats will be better but he shot some career highs uh, last year not quite a career high but in Cleveland he'd basically been right at 37 percent from three he was at 42 percent last year although remember he didn't play that many games or minutes he was only 28 minutes a game last year also shot 62 percent at the rim again they had a ton of spacing LeBron obviously was setting him up there a lot he's going to be receiving a lot more defensive attention now without LeBron on the floor uh he's going to be 30 this year also big time health concerns with concussions knee surgeries uh and he's just going to have to take a lot more bad shots this season so uh, I'm very skeptical this Minnesota love idea I mean I think he's a valuable offensive player to be sure but I think he's going to struggle defensively as well he's going to have to play more minutes I'm not sure he's going to be able to hold up there or not I mean he basically has been 
31 minutes a game in his Cleveland career. And as I mentioned, down to 28 last year. And defensively, there are major concerns. So I, I think he might be an all-star this year just because the East is weak and he is shooting a ton and he has the all-star pedigree. So he's just in people's minds. But, you know, I don't really expect him to be effective as the number one offensive option that he's going to have to be this. If you're right, that would be absolutely devastating for the Cavs long term because they just paid him all this money. And part of the reason you and I were really critical of that was because they paid him like this experiment worked and we have absolutely no idea whether or not it will. A couple other guys I want to mention, I feel like this might be the year that Goran Dragic fades off a little bit, especially because oh, yeah. he's, he struggled a lot playing with Wade. They, they might stagger those guys. I think they'll try to a lot, but I mean, offensively, he's so much better with the ball in his hands and then defensively, you know, when whenever guys start getting into from their early to mid 30s, it becomes a concern. Bobby Portis, I like him a lot better as a center than a power forward and now they have Wendell Carter and Robin Lopez, at least for now. So I don't think he's going to play a lot of center. I think that's going to hurt him a fair amount. Uh, uh, I love you know Hall. he's going to shoot every moment he he has a chance to when he is on the floor. For damn sure. He, he took uh, Drew 19 Holiday, shots yeah. in 21 minutes in, in that first preseason. That's right. So Drew had the best offensive season of his career. I'm always, you know, that's always a little bit concerning. I still think he's an awesome player. I think he'll have a good year. But maybe if he takes a little bit of a step back, they will miss Rondo in that capacity if he became more aggressive as a scorer. And I think Trevor Reza is, like, he'll, he might have a higher volume, so his numbers might look good, but I'm guessing he'll be substantially less efficient just because he goes from the funhouse mirror that is the Houston Rockets to a team that we're not even really sure what they're doing at point guard. So that'll be a pretty, pretty big adjustment for him. And, you know, defensively, how does he adapt from being on a championship contender to being on a team that is more in the, the maybe in the like best case scenario, they're outside, like just on the outside of the playoff mix. Like that might affect the way he approaches each game defensively. I don't know. Hopefully he's more zealous, but it can always be a challenge. Yeah, the one I would add is Tyreek Evans. I think he can still be a valuable player. And he was so good last year in Memphis that even if he drops off, he can still be well worth that contract that he got in Indiana, the one year, 12 million. But I, I think that Tyreek just is not going to shoot the ball as well this year as he did last year. And you know, health has always been a concern for him. And, and he might have struggled again with health last year. Uh, although health has actually been fine for him anytime he hasn't been with the Pelicans training staff. So maybe that's a, an overblown concern. But uh, didn't play that many games last year just due to tanking purposes and being shut down. So I think both in terms of health and his three-point percentage that protected him from a potential regression last year. And so we might see that come again this year, even if, you know, I think he's still going to be an effective player. Here's a crazy Tyreek Evans shooting stat. So he's a career 32% three-point shooter. He has three total seasons over 35%, and he has three total seasons under thir- under tw- uh, 25% or under. That's pretty remarkable. But I guess all that time when he was hurt, he had time to work on his three-point shot. Well, and I mean, in Sacramento, they weren't really encouraging that, and those teams were just such a mess. So, I mean, a, a lot of that was that. The one year, that year on the Pelicans, which is also a small sample size, he only attempted, so the first year he was on the Pels, he only attempted 95 threes the entire season, despite playing 2,000 minutes. Yeah, that's, I mean, the league has certainly changed, but, uh, I mean, he deserves a lot of credit for improving his three-point shot. It was something that was, I mean, going back to college was considered a huge week. Um, all right, should we do real quickly here, since we're running short on time, uh, our best bet? Yeah, so I already mentioned my first one, so that's Utah's over. I'm, I think that they're gonna be really good. My second is the Knicks under, especially with the potential reporting that Porzingis might be on the later end of his projection, and I think they'll be super patient with him, and he's the most important important player on their team. Or do you want me to do all of them, or do you want to go back and forth? No, I think we can go back and forth. I also had the Knicks under for the the same reason that you mentioned, although I'm sad that we weren't able to get that when it was 30 and a half. Uh, This is actually one that we disagree on that I have as a best bet, and that is the LA 
LA Clippers over. I mean, I kind of did it just straight from the variance between my prediction and what the over-under was, and I predicted the Clippers for to win 42, and their over-under was 38. So I was, well, probably got to do that one. Uh, yeah, I think they just have too much talent. I think their offense is too good, uh, and they're going to be trying to win. So I, I think uh, I, I like that one. Um, Utah, I'm, I feel good about, but I wasn't quite willing to go there. I did go with, with my third pick uh, for the Houston over uh, of 50 seconds. I think there's just too much talent on this team. Uh, they just have too good of a system. There's just so many of these teams just have absolutely no way to deal with their pick and roll ability. So I, I like that Houston over. I do too, but it's not my number three pick. My number three is Toronto's over. I just, I think they have so much talent on this team. The idea of the bench mob is still true. They can go with a lot of different closing fives. And even, I, I thought Kawhi looked good. I watched him last night against the Jazz. I thought he looked close to what I hope he's he's going to be. Yeah. And so if, if they can get that, then that's even better. But I mean, Toronto, I think they're a better team than this number. So that I feel good about that one. Yeah, I had uh, the Toronto over as one of mine as well. I, I'm not putting mine in any particular order, by the way. Oh, okay. Mine are. Mine yeah. are in order. Um. Uh. So, okay. So it's Toronto. Do you want me to do, is that your, ne- is that yeah, your next one? Yeah, that's my next one. That... So go ahead. Okay. So mine is Chicago's under. I, I don't too. believe, too. I don't believe in their defense. And that's a big problem. And then offensively, it could work. It could not work. But that kind of uncertainty. I mean, one of the big challenges, and this, this came in on my fifth one, too, is there just weren't that many clear-cut things on the board. So I started getting into ones that I like, you know, I felt pretty good about, and usually they would never make it this far, but those are the best things on the board. Yeah, so uh, we've got all of mine. I guess you've got one more here still. Yeah, and mine one is a holdover from yours too, which is Houston's over. So we have a right. lot of really similar ones here. Um, yeah, what, what are our Houston. only difference? The cl- it's going to be Clips over... Clippers and Utah. Oh, God, we have all the other four are exactly the same? Mm-hmm. Oh, man, that's depressing. It is. Group think. Well, I mean, but we had more differences in the over-unders this year, so we can we can focus on that yeah, instead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did have seven differences. That's about normal for us, isn't it? Or, or it you, might be. I honestly, know. I honestly don't know. Right, here, let's. Uh, I'll have to go back and look at some point, which I won't remember to do because we have to end the show right now. Uh, please don't forget about our sponsors, Ancestry and Burrow. Use those slash caps face URLs. Let them know that you came from us. And uh, anything else that we should not forget about, Danny? I'll plug my big series is going to start coming out for the Athletic. I don't know what teams we're starting with. I think it'll start coming out on Thursday. So that's going to be, I'm doing 30 kind of hybrid 2019 offseason preview and and season previews. Those are coming out. And I will have between this and the next Dunked On, I will have a Real GM Radio coming out with guests that is not only to be announced, to be determined. Yeah, and if you aren't familiar with Ben Taylor, by the way, uh, and you don't know who he is, he's just done amazing work, probably the best work of anyone that I've seen on historical ranking of NBA players. We talked about his top eight extensively yesterday, but if you didn't listen to that because like, oh, Ben Taylor, who the hell is this in the title? Uh, He's awesome. Please listen to it. Uh, All right. Talk to y'all later.